Yes, sir. Welcome into a TGIFFF. Well, one of those F's I can't really say, but thank God it's a football Friday right here on Texans All Access. Appreciate you being with me, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans, host of well, Friday All Access for I think this is the 10th year I've been doing it. So I appreciate you all for being with me for that long. Thank you very, very much. Now, we got a lot to do on the program today. We got to have some keys to the game. We'll have those a little bit later. We're going to hear from John Grenard. Uh, here in the first segment. We're also going to have a little Drew's Dozen with JG a little bit later. Safeties coach Steven Agadoke is going to be with us uh, a little bit later in the show, and hopefully I just buzzed right through that and said that right, Coach. I did my best. Uh, but I'm talking about impressive. Holy smokes. You're going to love that interview, and you want to talk about smart, uh, impressive, everything you'd want in a future head coach. You're going to hear it. And I said it to him afterwards. I mean, when I t- you'll hear in the interview, I mentioned something about being, you're not even 30 yet, and he just kind of smiled at me like, yeah, I'm not yet 30. By the time that dude's in his uh, early 30s, he's going to be head coach at a high level in college or NFL. There's no, there's no doubt. After listening to him, there's no, no question. Uh, and he loves him some D'Amico Ryan. So we're going to hear from D'Amico Ryan's here in the first segment as well. Casey Phillips, who's team reporter for the Bucks, is going to join uh, our own DP Sidhu. Uh, and that's a little sad for me uh, because it's going to be the last behind enemy sidelines uh, with my good friend DP Sidhu. And uh, I'm still trying to come to grips with it. It's it's going to be tough. DP is is moving on uh, to, to bigger and better, and she's just fantastic. I'm, and I, I could sit here for the next hour and a half and tell you how much I love her, how, how great she is and what she does and how much she has meant to me, how much she's meant to the Texans and our department. But – uh, we, we, uh, she knows we have a show to do, but, uh, she also knows how, uh, I feel. So she and Casey will join us a little later in the show as we go behind enemy sidelines, learn a little bit more about the bucks. We'll go men behind the mics with Gene Decker off. So we've got that to look forward to. He's a play by play voice of not only the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but the Florida state Seminoles. So, uh, that's going to be fun for he and Mark, uh, to connect Mark, obviously a staunch hurricane fan after his time there in Miami many, many years ago. So, we got all that to do, plus my prediction straight up and against the spread for fun. But we're going to kick off the show, as we always do, with D'Amico Ryan stepping in and giving his thoughts about this game against the Bucks. Coach, am I right? This seems like one of those games where field position is at a premium, maybe more than usual. What about the third phase and how it affects things that way? The field position will be a huge battle this game, I think, too. The defense is really strong for the Buccaneers. We feel like our defense is strong, so it's going to be that battle, right? Who can win the field position battle? The battle of the hitting yardage, and I think Cam has done a great job of putting us in some great backed-up opportunities, and we're expecting them to do the same thing this this week. How about running against their defensive front? I'm looking at some of the names they played in some big games, Coach. Yeah, tough front to run against. Uh, starting with Vita Vea, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be tough to move them off the line. So it's it's going to be a uh, you know it's going to be an effort from our old line, but I know they're up for the challenge. And we've done a great job this week of running the ball in practice. Just hoping that transpires to showing up on Sunday and us moving them off the line of scrimmage and gaining some yards. What about getting the timing in the passing game you're looking for in practice, trying to simulate what they do and going against that? Yeah, it's been good. I think CJ, the receivers, has had a great week of practice. The timing has been there. Um, and guys have executed well. That's what I'm encouraged by you know, this week. The execution has been there. Guys have been dialed in to the preparation. So we just want to see it happen on Sunday. That's what it's all about. Can we execute what we've done all week? Can we execute it in game? 
They haven't run the ball as well as they want to, but Baker Mayfield, he seems kind of streaky. He can get hot and be unpredictable. How do you see him? Yeah, he can. I think Baker does a really good job when it's more of a no-huddle, up-tempo. That's where you really see him get going. So we have to you know, really dedicate ourselves to stopping the run. We can't allow them to get going in the run game and make Baker, right, force him to make some tough passes. And it starts with our D-line, right, really applying pressure in the middle of the pocket, getting after this O-line, and guys in coverage just being disciplined, having great eye discipline where they're supposed to be. All right, the psychological factors here because you've played well at home, so that's got to really help the guys get up for this one even more maybe. Yeah, we're excited, man. Back home, we're excited to play in front of our fans. Guys have done a great job the past two times we played at home. Guys have played well, right? And uh, the stadium has been rocking the past mm-hmm. two times we played, so we look forward to making some big plays to get our fans excited. One more for you. I know you want to take the ball away, but it's not like you could just go take the ball away. So what goes into that and trying to get that rolling for you? It starts with tackling and Mm -hmm. and how you take the ball. It starts with tackling, right? First guy to the ball, make sure you wrap him up. And the second man that comes in, we want him focused on getting the ball out. And when it's, when the ball does get out, like you have to know as a defender, I call it just instincts. Like when can you take a chance, right, and try mm. to get what we call a peanut punch on the ball, or when yeah. do you just have to get the guy down and secure the tackle. But if we're swarming and we get multiple guys to the ball, that's when the ball, you know, comes out. All right, coach. Thanks right. a lot. Good luck. Thanks, Mark. One of the guys that's been instrumental for coach the last few weeks, in particular last week against Carolina, is Jonathan Grenard. And if there's somebody that I would pick out of that locker room to give me the, the true skinny about this game, give me everything that you need to know about this team, this game, the offense he's going to face, it would be John Grenard. And Drew Doherty caught up with him to get the scouting report and his thoughts on Sunday against Tampa Bay. Defensive end Jonathan Grenard joins us now. Jonathan, taking on the Buccaneers this weekend. We're going to get sure. into the matchup in just a moment. But the Houston Texans, as a defense, have the fourth best pressure rate in the NFL but you're in the bottom third blitzing-wise. So, basically, you guys don't need to blitz to get pressure on the quarterback. What's going on? I think we just kind of clicked, hitting on a little bit last week and even the Saints game prior going to our bye week. I mean, the things that we've been taught to do from camp, I mean, OTAs all the way down to camp, I mean, just trusting that process and understanding, like, how this system has to work, how the each person, their role and their rush, and just understanding how we have to get to the quarterback collectively, obviously. You know, we all want to get the sack individually, to, I mean, obviously, for stats, and obviously just to help to change the game the momentum of the game, should I say. But just seeing all of all of us rush together and, you know, things just click, you know, whether it's a, and then obviously the coverage is, is doing their thing in the back end. So that helps us out. It ties in our rush. And then obviously us pressuring the quarterback could help them out, you know, to crazy throws and this and that. But I just think that overall we're just kind of just firing on all cylinders kind of. And then once we put it all together, I think that's when we everybody will see the final true product of what we really can be in this league. And we still haven't shown that yet, in, my, in our opinion. And even as our team, we all have admitted and understood, like, the standard is already set now. We understand with the players that we have in this room, with the scheme that we have, with the coaches that we have, we can do some really good damage in this league if we pretty much just buy into that aspect of doing our jobs and making sure that, you know, no, nobody's kind of freelancing in a sense to where it makes it difficult for the other person to have to overcompensate. So That's pretty interesting yeah. to hear because, you know, you talk about the Saints game, you talk about last week. Yeah. Last week, six sacks. Yeah. You hit the quarterback four other times, ten yeah. quarterback hits on the whole. I was going to ask, was that more of a matchup thing or is it like you're saying here – this is kind of to be expected. This is where 
the Texans' defense as a whole looks to be going. Yeah, and, and that's that's like hearing that the stat of because I think at one point we were like one of the top like the top pressure teams, but we also were the lowest in sacks right. because of product. You know, and that thing can go either way. I mean, it's it's. It's not that we're not getting to the quarterback. It's just a matter of who knows whether the quarterback gets it out or, you know, we missed a sack or, you know, the, the back end maybe have a breakdown or we maybe mess up somewhere. He splits through of us not taking care of certain things. So I think in that aspect, because that's what I'm speaking off of, because we also have seen it in camp, you know, just understanding the players that we have. Like, we don't have just any slouches around here. We have some pretty good quarterback, I'll say, in my opinion, pretty good offensive line, I would say, you know, just as a whole um, from top to bottom, I think that everybody is, is, is very capable of being um, a top group in the league at each position if we just continue to try to just hone in on the little small things so that way we can try to just be the best version of ourselves. So there's always meat on the bone, as I always just like to say. Like even last game, oh, yeah, we had six sacks, but if you go back through the film, we've missed about four of them. You know, so it could have been even more in those senses. And obviously I had uh, a penalty on my face mask with, with the quarterback. But, you know, just little small things. So seeing stuff like that is definitely encouraging when we watch the film because we understand that there's still more room for improvement. You know, even a game that close, you know, you would think that one side did their job completely right, maybe on the defensive side. But even then, we still had lapses to where we shouldn't even have to put the offense in those situations. So we kind of evaluate things from that perspective of what could we have done more to where we don't leave it into, you know, the offense hands or – and I know they're saying the same thing. What could we have done more to not leave it in the defensive hands? So I think just all of that and that mentality, even on down to special teams, it helps out just because you know you're not out there by yourself. You're very complimentary of everybody around For you. Sure. And you were talking about best version of, of ourselves. Mm -hmm. Six sacks so far. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a 14 and a half sack season mm -hmm. pace for you. So if you say you're not the best version of yourself yet, yeah. What more does that entail? I mean, what more do you have to do to be the best for Because you're playing pretty darn well. Yeah, I appreciate it. But I think also, too, just in this league, uh, it's already shaped. No one cares about last week. Yeah. You know, I could have done that last week, but if I go out and do this, you know, it's just it's who you are that next week. Who are you consistently put on tape? I mean, obviously, when you're in this league, it's such an innovative and progressive league to where it's a production-based business. So you got to show these things. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to just hang my hat on what I did here or did that there. We got to continue to just keep striving and keep climbing that ladder of success. I tell my teammates all the time just because of what teams are going to look at us and how they're going to view us now. You know, when we put that on tape, now they got to prepare as if this is the best version that they've seen. And meanwhile, on our side, we're like, that may look great to you all, but we also know on our end we could have done way much more than that. Mm -hmm. So it's just taking it to that next step and always climbing that ladder, never getting complacent is the key to this league. And then the teams that always uh, that, pro that propel and obviously prevail moving past all the, um, you know, the, the, the adversities throughout the teams, whether it's injuries or, you know, whatever the mishaps come about, those are the ones that are victorious. And who can stay the healthiest, obviously, too, plays a factor. But, yeah, all of those entail to it. So that way you can just be a successful team and try to establish yourself, not a team just scooting by, but establish a team that's here to stay. Let's talk about the team you're facing, the Buccaneers, oh, yeah. that offensive line. They've allowed seven sacks combined in the last three games. So what do you see challenge-wise in front of you guys with that offensive line? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're well-coached. got some very good players up front. Obviously, they're, they're a well-coached team. They want to run the football. They want to impose their will. Um, I kind of get that vibe from any NFC team, period. They just right? want, yeah, they just, it's like tough, nitty-gritty. Obviously, the NFC South is, that division is always a nitty-gritty side of it. Those uh, low-scoring games, close games. 
So it's going to be a physical game. I think they're not going to just try to come out here and try to just air it out or do whatever that goes against their plan, shall I say. So if that's their plan, that's their plan. But ultimately, we just know teams have always, they're going to try to impose their will with the runner in the first. So I feel like we stop the run, we give ourselves a really good chance. And I think that that's when we can make some really good plays off of that. But the key is definitely stopping that run because, as we all know, I mean, they, they want to do that so that way they can throw it over top and, and, you know, have those games where they can have those explosive plays. So we do our job in the first, second down. I think third down, we're looking at a pretty good pretty good opportunity. Tell me about Baker Mayfield. The Texans have seen him before, yeah. but what's the trickiest part of the Baker Mayfield 2023 version? Yeah, as much as hate he gets, um, I respect him just because he's a gamer. Um, he's a guy who just wants to do anything to win, whether it's making checks, you know, extra running, you know, maybe taking hits that he probably shouldn't take, yeah. or maybe throwing to certain ones. Like, he's just a guy who wants to win, and I think that that's the thing you have to just always be careful for anybody, because they play like their back is against the wall. They have nothing to lose, even though obviously they do, but just the mentality that he plays with, you have to be mindful of a guy like that. So when we're rushing him, making sure that he doesn't just get an opportunity to just run out and get an easy way out to get an easy pass or in the passing game or disguises. Certain things we just want to keep rattling him to where he's not comfortable. And I think that's just the mentality for any quarterback that we play against. But specifically him because once he gets in the rhythm, he's, he's still a good quarterback in my eyes and in, in, in everyone's eyes, honestly, because of the team doesn't ask him to do all everything. They don't ask him to do much. They take what they give you. If they run the ball, they're going to run the ball and try to set things up. But at the end of the day, he definitely does make some plays when he needs to, and I think he's done that consistently this year for their guys to uh, make to get certain wins. Um, but overall, we, we know that he's a guy that we definitely have to keep our eyes on the contain and just make him uncomfortable. Before we wrap this up, Jonathan Grenard, let's talk a little bit about a shout-out that you got in a very positive mm. way from J.J. Watt on a pretty yeah. big platform, the Pat McAfee Show. Said some really nice things, very complimentary things about you. What did you think when you heard that from him? It was cool. I, I told him I appreciate uh, him correcting my pronunciation, my last name. <laughs> so, um, but I like JJ. He was a guy when I, I was here in my rookie year with him. So I think that was one of the best things I could be able to witness. Just a guy who who's done it multiple times, year in and year out. Future Hall of Famer. Just a guy who's just literally didn't let his size and the, the noise around him dictate who he was as a player on the field. He still played as if he was a hungry, undrafted guy out of Central Michigan. You know that. Well, not undrafted. Uh -huh. Got a walk on yeah, in Central Michigan. Yeah. So just a guy, he still carried that same mentality moving forward. So um, to see how he prepared, how he just went about the game, his game plan, his routines, and then obviously seeing the success and how people, other people viewed him, it was a great sight to see. So for him to obviously give me a shout out, and obviously we had a couple talks beforehand to my time, well his time here while I was here with him. It meant all the world, but uh, the, the job is not done yet. I mean. Uh, the, notif the, the notoriety is cool and all, but at the same token, we're still early in this, this season and we got a long way to go because now that means other people are finna just be keying in on me even that much more. So it makes me elevate my game even more because now I got to switch up to, well, not switch up, but perfect the things that I've already done moving forward. So to get a shout out from a guy like him, future Hall of Famer, man, and obviously be shout out on Pat McAfee's show, man, that was, that was pretty cool. But yeah, man, it's, it's a good one, but the job's not done yet. Good stuff. Well, the job against the Buccaneers coming yes, up. Sir. Good luck in that one. Yes, we appreciate the time. It's always a pleasure talking with you, John. Always, Drew. Appreciate y'all for having me. All right, great stuff there from D'Amico Ryans and John Grenard. What a combination mm. those two have been. Six sacks through seven games, so he's on pace for about, what, 13 plus 14 sacks? Would you take that from John Grenard this year? On pace guy says, yes, I will certainly take that, and I predict that, but that's on pace guy. Yeah. I don't know what to predict, Johnny, because <laughs> I've seen guys stuck on eight yeah. for the last six games in situations similar to that where you think you're a lock for double digits, and what does that really get you? I just want to see good quality, productive play out of all these guys, get pressure on the passer, 
If the sack numbers come, they come. Look, sometimes a team can be really good at sacks. We've talked about this, and nobody gets in double figures, right? right? Nine is the high, right? right? But across the board, they got team sacks. They got production from a lot of different individuals, and I'm fine with that too, but I'd love to see it for JG this year, really balling out. He's been through a lot with this organization. It's fun to watch him play well. It is. It's been fun to watch him play well, and the Texans will have a a business decision to make, and hopefully – It'll be a business decision that brings John Grenard back here for a long time as John is in his final year. And I've said this, uh, told a story, John and I were talking after the, the season was over and they're about to go on break last January. And we're talking about all the changes John's had to go through. He got here in 2020, right? Co head coaching changes, defensive coordinator changes, defensive scheme changes, defensive line coach changes. And you'd like to think that's some continuity. Finally, he, Jacques Cesare is a defensive line coach. 2022 and 2023, you know, hopefully D'Amico and and Matt Burke are going to be here for a while. So they would kind of keep continuity. So it's just a matter of keeping John hopefully around here so he can continue to build on what he's done. I think he's been fantastic, both he and Will Anderson. And you know, it's funny, Marcus, I was watching, I was going back and watching the game and there's not been, you know, so much talk about the Texans run game, et cetera. And so you're trying to decipher what's going on. And so I went back and I was watching the Carolina game. And what I realized was something that D'Amico has told us. The reason that we've done a really good job of stopping the run is how good our guys are at setting the edge. Mm. And I was actually watching our offense against Carolina's defense and realized that is so true. Our guys actually were doing a pretty good job blocking and moving the interior guys inside. Okay. But but Burns in particular and Justin Houston set the edge really well. Houston's still doing that. He's huh? still doing Year it. Year 13. Yeah. But Burns did a really nice job of getting the edge set so it disrupted our back's vision. And so they would have to slow down and then make a move or uh. make a cut off of that. And so we were doing a good job of the interior guys. But because Burns set the edge so well, we had a hard time slowing down and getting to a cutback. Um, and then the linebackers did a really good job. Frankie Louvre, who was NFC Defensive Player of the Week, deserved it. He was fantastic. Wow. You know he what? was really good. One more note on that. Remember, those guys were questionable coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, Burns and Luvu. And we're thinking maybe they both missed this game. Can you imagine if they both missed that game? I know other people fill the slots and you might get production out of them, but not the same production yeah. at all. Yep. Those guys were huge in that game. Yeah, it would have been bodies versus players because yeah. they would have had some bodies in there. But but it made me think about what John Grenard and Will Anderson have done. Because a little bit later, I'm watching our defense and I'm watching Will set the edge. Now, I thought our defensive tackles have done a better job than Carolina's of of defeating blocks so that the run can't spill back inside or cut back inside. I think our defensive tackles have done a pretty good job, especially with Hassan back. But when I watched Burns do it, it made me think how important it has been for Grenard and Anderson to do it and how they've been valuable. And they've been incredible setting the edge. I mean, against the run, it's been, it's been really, really fun to watch. I want to change course here. We got the game, obviously Friday. We talked a lot about the game and we'll talk a lot about the game tonight. But I saw this tweet. It's from Dave Damashek, who does stuff for NFL Network. And he's a Pittsburgh guy. He's a Yenzer. As, uh, I don't even know where that name comes from, but he's a Yenzer. Because mm-hmm. um, I guess in Pittsburgh they say Yenz guys. And uh, anyways, every, every area of the country's got some sort of dialect or thing that they say and do. And, you know, it's always the Stillers, not the Steelers. But anyways, he made a point. I want to get your thoughts on this. He said, a fan, he said, uh, he was making a point about, you know, just some of the things he was saying about how just discontent with fans. Okay. Because Pittsburgh is five and three. Yeah. They've been outgained in every game. 
In every single game. Every single game they've been outgained five and three. Especially here at NRG Stadium. Yeah. yeah, especially here. Now, they took the L that day. But he said, my larger point, a fan base can only be unsatisfied with his 2023 team by zooming in on just that team. And then he said, who feels their team is right as rain on November 3rd, 2023? And then he said, these teams, Eagles, Dolphins, probably Bengals, and then he threw in the Seahawks fans. He said Texans and Titans fans who think they found their short-term quarterback, and then he said short list. And it got me thinking because I, I was actually thinking about this the other day when, when we were coming back from Carolina, and obviously I'm you know, just consuming every bad thing said about us after losing to Carolina. And his point, like, it popped into my head, like, who really is happy with their team? Oh, no. Honestly, the list he just gave you, I beg to differ. The Eagles fans are not happy. No, they're not they happy They feel at like all. something's missing. Right. We don't really have that, what we need, that final edge, whatever it is, to get over the top, right. win a Super Bowl. Uh, obviously, the Cowboys, you know, they're never happy. And right. They're not happy at 5-2. and two. They still don't trust Dak, and they still have that loss to San Francisco, the loss to the Cardinals lingering. So they're not happy at all. Who else did he mention? Uh, there was nobody that— Dolphins. The Dolphins are definitely not happy because, now, if they beat the Chiefs this weekend, they'll get happier yeah. because they haven't beaten what they would deem a good team yet, yes. right? Very, they exactly. match up with the Buffalo Bills in Western New York and they get crushed and, oh, my gosh, we're not that good. Every time they match up with somebody who's supposedly their them, class yeah. or better, yeah, they don't win. The Eagles took care of them. So you have that to consider. The Chiefs are definitely not happy after losing to Denver. But right. even before, the point totals were not Chief-like. No. It just felt clunky for them. But, Johnny, when you're one of those teams – now, the Dolphins are a bit different because they haven't done anything in this era other than, you know, they've got some wins. It's nice. Having a nice couple of yep. years here in the regular season. We'll see exactly. how it goes. But for the Chiefs, they have a very high standard, and it's kind of Astros-like. They've got to get to the postseason right. and then take it from there, and that's where the true evaluation will be. But people can't help but evaluate now. Even though they see 6-2, and two, it's a decent record. Are you going to have the best record in the AFC? We don't know. You just lost to Denver. Where are you going with this? You're losing. To, are you losing to Miami and Frankfurt this weekend? Right. We'll find out. I just find it's a really interesting point because I do think it's definitely the case. Like, just thinking about this week's games, obviously Titans-Steelers was last night. And we'll get to the, his final comment in a second. Steelers, I mean, Steelers are 5-3. and three, And I would imagine, hey, we're happy we're 5-3, and three, but... Do Steelers fans feel like it's going to get much better? Like, do Steelers fans look at it and go, well, yeah, we might win a division or get into playoffs, but are we going to do anything in the playoffs? Right, so that's another kind of unhappiness, yeah. right? There are different types of unhappiness Absolutely. in yeah, sports no doubt. and in this league in particular because the Steelers, this is a one of the great franchises in the history of our game, right? No right. question. One of the top three. So there they are at five and three. They want postseason, not only postseason participation, they want postseason success. Right, right. They want to advance in the postseason. Are they going to get that done? I think five and three in the context they're in relative to where they were last year, not too bad, but it's all about what you do from here. But are they really happy with Kenny Pickett? Are yeah, they? exactly. Are they? Exactly. That's what they're considering right now. What are we going to do at quarterback? We really haven't replaced Roethlisberger. But I'll point to them and say, listen, was Neil O'Donnell that great? He was pretty good. He got them to a Super okay. Bowl, right? Tommy Maddox, he was okay, right. but he wasn't great. 
Can Pickett be as good as those guys? Yeah, in a different way, maybe. Yeah. Roethlisberger was Hall of Fame production for them for almost two decades or yep. whatever it turned out to be, decade and three quarters or two thirds. Yeah. So good for them to have Roethlisberger. Those guys don't come along very often. I don't know what they're going to do, but at least they're five and three. If I look at their glass, it's half full to me and the Texans beat them. Yep. Now I'm not saying we're half empty over here, but three and four, I don't want to dip two games below 500 here. I mean, if we have to take it, we'll take it and take it from there. But you're going to Cincinnati next week. Take care of business Sunday, please. Well, it's interesting you bring up Cincinnati because, as and you're right, I look at that the list, he said Eagles, Dolphins, and he said probably Bengals. I would think the Bengals fans would be feeling better about their team right now mm. than a lot of teams throughout the league, regardless of the record, because they're starting to see that team that they recognize from the playoff runs the last couple of years. That's the team that we recognize, and it's getting better. Joe Burrow's getting healthy. I would think right now the Bengals look at it and say, yeah, we're on the, we're on the upswing, or at least that's the way fans look at it because Burrow's getting healthy. Everybody's happy with you know getting the touches they're getting. Jamar looks great. The defense, Luana Rumo is one of the better DCs. It feels like there really are about two or three fan bases that are you know feeling good like right now, and I think the Bengals are one of them. The Eagles fans are like, yeah, maybe we're getting there, but – and I don't know, that's what it's expectation a, does. It's but a week-to-week -week thing, though, It's John. so much Because so. the Bengals play the Bills at home Sunday night, right? And we all know what happened there last year during this particular matchup in Cincinnati. And let's hope everybody stays safe. Yeah. But if the Bengals lose to this one, this is a referendum game for both teams' fan bases, right? If right. the Bengals lose to the Bills on Sunday night at home, uh-oh, well, who are we really? Right. What, what is really going on with Burrow? What's going on here? If the Bills lose this one, we're not what we want to be. We're five and four. They're five and four the if Bills, they lose yep. this game. Absolutely. And they're going to be coming after Bill's fan base is not content. No, they're not they're happy, not happy at, all at all because they feel like, are we even going to get in? Now, look, now you don't have the double buys anymore. I, not double buys, but two teams with a buy. Right, double right, right. It's a different thing. I wish we still had that in some ways. I, I like having seven in, but it was cool to have those two prizes available. Yeah. There's only one Great available say, right yeah. now, yep. and uh, they're going to say, well, we're not getting that. You know, we can win the division, maybe, but Miami, it, let's say Miami beats the Chiefs on Sunday and the Bills lose to the Bengals. Two entire, entirely possible things yep. here. The Bills are going to feel like, and they beat the Dolphins, but it doesn't matter. They're going to feel like they're really behind. So, Okay, go with me on this. Yeah. We're going to rip through each team. Tell me which team and at what point you go, oh, yeah, that fan base is happy. Titans, no. Steelers, no. No. Dolphins and Chiefs, they're uneasy. Yeah, for, for what they want. Right. Absolutely. But I'd Vi love to be 6-2. and two. Vikings, no. Falcons, Heck definitely no. not. Cardinals, absolutely not. No. Browns, hell no. No. Rams, no. Packers, good Lord. That I'm, fan base is ready to I'll riot. I'll say this about the Browns, though. I'll say this. They've hung in there despite all the Watson it's, drama. It's just true. And they're four and three. And it looks pretty good to beat a one and seven Cardinals team, no matter who's playing quarterback. So if they go to five and three, they feel like, you know what? Watson is still this wild card. At any point, he could potentially play really well. And where would that put them? Yeah. I mean, where would a really good Watson put this Cleveland Browns team? And there's a lot that needs to happen between now and the end of the regular season. But I think that they feel, yeah, they're uneasy for sure. Yep. 
But they have some hope here that things could possibly work out. Yeah, absolutely. I think if they didn't have the Watson thing and they were four and three and they're winning games with a gritty, tough defense, I think Cleveland Browns fans would be feeling really good. Rams, Packers, no. Commanders, Patriots, no. Bears, Saints, no, no. Seahawks, Ravens. All right, Seahawks. Now, Seahawks, maybe. Ravens, maybe. I can see both fan bases being okay with them right now. I don't even have to look, but I'll bet that there are a lot of people in Seattle saying, you know, Geno's doing a very nice job. I mean, comeback player of the year. In fact, his quarterback's coach from last year is the OC, Dave Canales, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Buccaneers, who we will see Sunday. But with the Seahawks, I bet there's a lot of people in the Pacific Northwest who think, you know, we really don't have the guy. We don't have what Russell Wilson like was him, in his prime. I, I think, think they, they like it for him. now. Yeah. But I, I bet they wonder, how far can we really go? I don't Gino? know. It's going to be interesting. I think Ravens fans, and I think both of them are pretty are, are right now pretty happy. I think the Seahawks fans like Geno. Bucks, Texans, I don't think either fan base is really happy. Other than Texans, they know they've got the future. Colts, Panthers, no. no. I mean, they know they've got the future quarterback, but neither one playing well. Right. Giants, Raiders, no. Cowboys, Eagles, we've talked about them, no. Bills, Bengals, I think they're teetering. I think Bengals fans are feeling mm-hmm. good, but the Bengals get beat at home. Holy smokes. And Chargers, Jets. Yeah. I mean, I think Jets fans are are uneasy, but I think they're like, wait, man, we never thought we would be four and three. Yeah. So they're four and three. I think they're happier than they've than they've been. But it just goes to show that every week, every month, you can it's just a complete and total opposite but of what you can be. Hey, I feel great these, this week, two weeks, three weeks later, you're like, God, I hate this team. But it's sports. We live for not feeling great. Yeah, that's right. True. That's the, true. Uh, I should word it differently. It's the unpredictability, how you what you call uneasy, right? Yep. When you feel that you don't know what's going to happen. It's like gambling in a way, but yeah. you're not really gambling. Well, some people are, but you're not really gambling, but you're living and dying with the results of what your team does. Yeah. And it's, it's all a big journey. You know, yep. uh, Sean was saying it this morning. We just want to feel good next week going into Cincinnati. If yes. you win this one, you'll feel good going yes. into Cincinnati. And you take whatever happens at Cincinnati. And I get that. So we just want to feel good again. We want to have that winning feeling again. C.J. Stroud would say it, right? We want to walk around with the swag you get yep. when you get a dub. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So how are the Texans going to get that dub? Well, I got your keys to the game next right here on Texans All Access. All right, it's time for our keys to the game. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and I am the author of Keys to the Game. Been doing it for a very, very long time, dating back to 2003, college football news. First game, Ohio State taking on Wisconsin. That was the very first keys to the game I ever did. And now I do it every single week for your Houston Texans. And we got a big one this week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So let's dive in. Give me my music. Give me hype. And let's go. All right. Bucks are three and four. They've lost four of their last five. The only win in that mix was at New Orleans, which is always a tough place for them to win. But they won that game 26 to nine. Not scoring a ton of points. Um, 20, 27, 11, 9, 6, 13, 18. It's an offense that struggled to score. So let's dive in a little bit to the numbers on that offensive side. They average 78 yards per game on the ground. 220 through the air, that's 16th in the NFL. The run game is 30th in the NFL. Overall, they're 29th, averaging just under 300 yards per, per game. Now, where they're big, and this kind of adds the defense in here too, their turnover margin is fantastic. I think their turnover margin is plus 8. That's ridiculous. That's a ridiculous turnover margin, and it's helped that offense. Now, they're not turning it into a lot of touchdowns, 
But they are putting some points up on the board, and that's something the Texans have to be conscious of. So we'll talk about the Texans offense, Bucks defense a little later. We're staying with the offense and the Bucks right now. Now let's get to the keys. Number one, Big Mike. And anybody in Galveston grew up with this guy, they know. He's a former basketball player. And he still uses that basketball acumen, body control, going up for rebounds, physical, gets separation, great hands, you know, plucks the ball out of the air. The last time that the Bucks were in Houston, it was 2015, Mike had 17 targets. Now, he ended up with, I think, seven catches. But he had 17 targets. Now, he hasn't had quite that kind of game. But I do feel like the Bucks will try and get him the ball a dozen times. I mean, he's getting at least a dozen targets in this game. I don't think there's any question. Now, how do you cover him? That's 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 tough because he can go up and get it from any, anybody. Uh, I think you got to have somebody in the hip pocket just fighting through, uh, th- fighting through the hands every time he tries to make a catch. You just got to know and know that they're going to get him the ball, but then try and limit after the catch as best you can. Then when you get in the red zone, you might have to give some safety help to keep Baker from throwing that way. Um, and the other thing is you may want to force Mike inside so that Baker has got to throw amongst, you know, and over the defensive line. If you let him be outside, well, Baker can see that. And he can maybe get off schedule and get out there and do that. So you want to funnel Mike back to the inside where you've got some help and where Baker can't see as well. Number two, against the Bucks, Eliminate the run. Now, I just said that they average 78 yards per game on the ground. That's not that's really that's nothing. It's 30th in the league, right? But you got to completely take it away. Make the Bucks completely one-dimensional and put the game all on Baker Mayfield, which leads me to key number three. I call it Baker's Dozen uh, just because I was trying to do something kind of cutesy, if you will. Uh, but it's Baker Mayfield. I feel like he's found his spot in Tampa, and I feel like they like him in Tampa. And I feel like he's good for the Bucks. He's a good leader. He's always been that. He's got a lot of energy. I think that team needs it, especially with a young, growing offensive line. And that line is not great. They make Baker get on the move a bunch. So if you, one, funnel Mike inside, try and limit his targets inside. So move everything inside the hashes, inside the numbers. Two, take away the run completely. Number three, you're going to put it all on Baker. And if you do that, then you got to try and make him throw from the well all game long. To me, it's a little, it, it's kind of similar to Bryce Young, but not. I don't really want – I didn't want either one really to create out of the pocket. You wanted Bryce to throw from the pocket. But I just felt like the, the Texans' D-line was just going to get all over him and it was not going to matter. I feel like with Baker, you want him to throw from the pocket as much as possible because he's going to be limited on what he can see. He likes to throw the ball outside the numbers, outside the hashes. So if you can kind of take some of those sight lines away, you can make it very difficult for him. But I feel like you've got to envelop him in the rush and maybe what you want to do – is get to a point where you go high side with your rushes so that he now has to kind of move around and, and look for things inside where he doesn't like to throw the football. So if you can do that, put it on Baker Mayfield, uh, that's a good thing. Let's flip it over to the Bucks defense. And this is an interesting group because they still got a lot of names that you recognize. Vita Vea, who should be able to play even though he's questionable, as we talked about. Uh, Logan Hall is out. Um, Kalaj Kansi's given some good reps inside the rookie, but they've got a, two linebackers are tremendous. Secondary is great. Um, so it's kind of mystifying why they give up only 100 yards per game on the ground, basically. Tenth in the NFL, but they give up 256 through the air. That's 28th in the NFL. Now, part of that is because they're just not winning their matchups up front. So, keys against the Bucks defense. Number one, you better know where Antoine, Antoine Winfield Jr. is, number 31. He is their Jalen Petrie. He lines up in the box. He blitzes. Uh, he rushes. He plays the run. 
He's deep in coverage. He can play deep half. He plays robber. He can lurk. He's a lot of different things that he can do. So you got to make sure that you know exactly where 31 is at all times. And then you account for him in the run game. You account for him, okay, here's where he is in coverage. I think this is what he could do. And kind of make sure that C.J. Stroud has mental notes of what he can do and how he affects the game. Big V, that's Vita Vea, should be back. He's questionable on the injury report. But I do believe he'll be back in this game. And that's trouble because it's really difficult to move him. I mean, really difficult. So last time when the Texans faced him in 2019 down in Tampa, Texans running backs had 31 yards on 19 carries. 31. That's not good. And Via just tossed guys around like they were throw pillows. So we can't let that happen. They've got to occupy him as best they can. Just continually hit him with people. I don't care who it is, with Beck, with the center, with guards, tackle, down blocks, whatever. They've got to make life miserable for Vita Vea, no doubt. Now, when the Texans do throw the ball, the receivers are going to have a battle against Jamal Dean and Carlton Davis. Two dudes that long, physical, clutch, grab, hold. They will do anything to slow receivers down. But, like I said, because they're not winning up front, that secondary is getting torched, even with Jamal Dean and Carlton Davis. So, if you can protect it up, I think you're going to have opportunities to get what you want in the passing game. But now you got to prove it. And now you got to do it on Sunday against the Bucks. All right, we get back. We'll go behind enemy sidelines with our good friend, D.P. Sue. one more time right here on Texans All Access. Welcome back, everybody, to this edition of Texans All Access, a TGIF edition of Texans All Access. Appreciate you being here with me, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. It's time to go behind enemy sidelines one final time with my good friend, D.P. Sidhu. D.P., um, going to be moving on uh, very, very soon. And, God, I'm going to miss her. Good God, I'm going to miss her. She always does such a tremendous job. She's added so much to our all-access shows uh, all throughout the week. She hosts Tuesday. Uh, her deep slant interview with Laramie Tunsil this past week was must-listen. I mean, must-listen. But it was every single time she sat down with somebody. And when she sits down with somebody on the other side, it's always definitely worth the listen. This week, it's Casey Phillips, who's a team reporter for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So, Let's do it, DP. One more time with Casey Phillips, team reporter for the Tampa Bay Bucks. We're going behind enemy sidelines this week with Casey Phillips. She's the team reporter for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's been a while since I've talked to you, Casey, but here these two teams are. Um, and tell me a little bit about the Bucks. After a three and one start, they're on a three game losing skid. So, what's really been the difference these past three games for the Bucks, and what do they need to do to sort of get get their season turned around? Yeah, I really think it comes down to trying to get the offense going a little bit more that the defense is doing a great job of limiting points. I know there's still things that they feel like they could be doing more of, but offensively, it's just been a little tough. Some missed opportunities in the red zone, um, struggling to get the run game going, which then, of course, we know affects the rest of your offense. If you don't have the run game going, everything else is a little bit harder to you know, get that expansion, that space, if, if maybe the play action isn't biting quite the way that it normally would. So really, I think it's getting some chunk runs would be huge. Um, just getting that yards per carry up a little bit would really take a lot of the pressure off. And even just a little bit of shooting ourselves in the foot that there's been a lot of penalties at some really inopportune times. So when your offense is already struggling to get going consistently, and then you'd actually end up with one of those chunk runs. And then all of a sudden it's called back for holding or, Oh, you've gotten going on the drive a little bit. And then there's a false start penalty that it just always felt like as soon as they'd start to get something going, like, Oh, there's one of those penalties or there's one of those lapses in, you know, in the mental side of things. So I think that really it's about, you know, I always hear teams talking about the whole 
we beat ourselves versus them beating us. And I think there are sometimes they really are feeling like lately they've been beating themselves. So um, trying to play a little bit cleaner and hopefully get the offense going a little bit earlier defense and not having to be on the field quite so long would be really big. Yeah. You mentioned the run game, not getting going, but the passing game, Baker Mayfield thrown 10 touchdowns, to just four interceptions. It's year six for him. As the season has progressed, it seems like obviously he's been throwing the ball more. So last two games, 42 pass attempts against both the Falcons and the Bills. What have you seen from Baker Mayfield? What has he done really well in this offense in his first season with the Bucs? Yeah, so one thing we've really loved watching for Baker is his third down ability and then also just extending plays no matter what that he has escaped some sacks that all of us were like how how did you get out of that with his legs he's extended some things at some really key times and I think it's just funny that after you know a couple of years of Tom Brady where he was just pretty much going to stand in that pocket like we knew where Brady was going to be that was it. And he was really good at just getting rid of the football when he needed to. So he avoided sacks, avoided things like that. But Baker is able to maneuver a little bit more, extend some plays. So even when some pressure comes, he's been able to do some stuff to give us a chance on, on some third downs and for some conversions. And he's just played so tough too, that the way he's been doing that has gotten the team fired up. I think it was uh week two, maybe even, maybe even week one he threw a stiff arm on a run and you just saw the whole team be like, excuse me, like, look at this guy. So I think he's brought a little bit of that moxie, that attitude, that swagger to it. And it is a guy that a lot of the, the guys love to fight for play for. He's brought a lot of leadership where very quickly seemed to endear himself to a lot of the guys has gone to O-line dinners, you know, is really working to have that bond and that leadership. And we didn't vote for captains until around, I think, week four, maybe, because they wanted it to be based on actual gameplay and, and the season going. So instead of doing it before the whole season started, they waited and he got voted captain. And everybody said, yeah, it wasn't just something about he's the quarterback. Let's put him at captain. It was we had watched what he'd done through this point in the season. And, and they really felt like he'd earned that. And, and the leadership was great. Yeah, he's certainly shown some toughness. I know in that Thursday night game against Buffalo, he was dealing with some knee soreness. He was still able to play through it. Now that he's had about 10 days off, the team's had a nice little mini buy there. How much do you think the knee was an issue? And do you think that was affecting his play? And, and what has this extra time done for him physically? Yeah, I don't know how much it was affecting him or not, but I know that he said that he feels great now and that um, I do think that the mini buy was very helpful for, for him and anybody else that was banged up. I mean, as much as teams don't like having early bye weeks in some ways for us, having a bye week and a mini buy already has been very helpful because there have been some kind of key injuries or guys that are at least a little bit banged up during those times. I'm sure that come December, we're going to be really wishing we had one of those too, but um, for now, yeah, he seems to feel great. Full participant at practice, according to injury reports, it's one of those where you never know in the moment what he was feeling or what it, it could have meant, but it seemed like he was still, even with that knee brace on against Buffalo was still running around escaping. I will say that it does feel like in these last few games, there's been a little less of the the bootlegs and the rollouts as compared to earlier in the season. It seems like he is really good at throwing on on the move, that he's done a really great job of that, enjoys rolling out. So I, I will be interested to see if maybe that comes back a little bit more. You know, I don't know now that maybe he's back to 100 percent. Either way, he's been great at extending the plays and running. But yeah, I think to see some more design stuff, it'll be interesting to see if that was just kind of a fluke or if that was something they're going to design a little bit more, but yeah, he's um, it seems like he's feeling great and, and ready to go. Another player that seems to have benefited from the mini buy is nose tackle Vita Vea. So it looks like 
He was able to practice this week after not playing against the Bills. If if he does return to the starting lineup, you know, what is the biggest impact that he has when it comes to playing against the Texans offense? Yeah, that's a it's a large man. He's a very he just even Huge. if he just stands there, <laughs> you know, he's really going to make things complicated. No, he really is truly a game changer out there, whether it's for pass and run. And that's what I think is so amazing is that at his position, he has been leading the team in sacks last year and this year, which is wild. That should not be a thing at his position. And it's partially, I think they are, are going to want a little bit more from the outside linebackers and other people, but it's also just that Vita has been that good that even through double teams, he is able to shed that and still bring pressure on the quarterback still get in the backfield to be able to bring some guys down in the run game. So he is just such a big body, but he's not one of those big bodies that can't move. I mean, he really still has some impressive get off and impressive ability to shed some blocks and stuff. And so, and I think now even having our rookie defensive lineman next to him, Kalija Kansi, who's a little bit smaller, but incredibly quick. I think that the two of them next to each other is a lot for offensive lines to handle. And I will say, knowing what you guys have been dealing with on the injury front there, I, uh, I feel bad for, Whatever it is, your I don't know third, fourth string center at this point to have to go against a guy like Vita is uh, quite a tall order. I mean, we thought he should just take like another week off to rest and recover. So yeah, it's, yeah not it ideal so nice. to have a new starting center against one of the best nose tackles in the league. Uh, speaking of the defense, Todd Bowles, uh, the defense has been really stingy against the run there in Tampa Bay. Ranks first in red zone defense. What do you think has been the recipe for success for this Tampa Bay defense when it comes to to the red zone area? Yeah, it's funny. I was interviewing our cornerback Carlton Davis today and asked him about that. And he was like, honestly, I don't know. I think we're just we've been really good at, you know, our efficiency there and our execution that we just are executing really well when it comes to the red zone. If I were to guess, I think a lot of it is that our personnel works really well for the red zone that, you know, our DBs, especially guys like Carlton love some press man, love getting up in your face, putting hands on you, working in those tight spaces. We got some decently sized corners there as well. Um, like I said, you got guys like Vita Vey up front being able to bring a lot of in your face pressure. So it's already such a tiny space that you're operating in. And then you got a guy like Vita coming up in your face. It's going to make it a little bit harder and take away even more of that field for you. Um, and then also our linebackers are great in coverage. So, you know, there was a play I saw against the bills. That was amazing where you watched Levante David and Devin white pass off, uh, Dalton Kincaid between the two of them with just signals. And it was, it was pretty impressive watching that Levante, even though he's been in this league for a thousand years now, it seems like can cover, you know, tight ends and everybody else incredibly well, even in a one-on-one situation. So I just think your, your matchups, are so good that it's really hard for opposing offenses. And, and yeah, red zone defense has been huge. There's definitely still some other areas that they they want to improve on, but that's definitely been an area that they've excelled at. All right. So before I let you go, I have to ask about Mike Evans. He's on pace for another thousand yard receiving season. We heard all the reports, possible trade rumors. None of that happened. But Mike Evans back in the fold there, obviously a top target for that Bucks offense. What makes him so tough to defend even this many years into the league? Yeah, here you thought maybe you'd be without Vita Vea and Mike Evans, right? We were that hoping. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Not the yeah, case. Mike, Mike is truly incredible. I think he is just such a challenging cover for corners because he's so big and strong and long that your smaller corners are going to struggle with that. But he can still run. I mean, he's 6'5", and you wouldn't think it, that that guy, especially in space, he's got those long strides. 
he can get out and run. And so if you got a bigger guy on him, that's going to be challenging. So I think he just presents a lot of mismatches and can really catch in traffic. So even to me, I just always laugh at how often he makes these catches where I'm like, he's not open and that's irrelevant. (laughs) It's just like, he can go get it. He can do whatever he needs to do, make those contested catches. And it's just the consistency over so many years. And it is still crazy that I don't, I mean, he's had so many different quarterbacks over that span and to still every single year be getting that thousand yards just shows that he can get it done. It doesn't matter who's throwing him the ball. It doesn't matter what else is going on. He's had so many variables and factors and just every year shows up and does it. All right. Should be a good matchup. Bucks have never won in Houston, by the way. So it'll be a a fun matchup on Sunday, both teams at three and four Sunday noon kick. Casey Phillips, team reporter for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Casey, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, that's going to do it for our first hour. Man, we were jam-packed with stuff. So we get back. We're going to have safeties coach Stephen Agadoke and John Grenard, Drew's Dozen. Yeah, it gets a little wacky with Drew at times. And, of course, when he sits down with somebody like John Grenard, it's going to get even wackier. That's next on Texans All Access. We got one hour left of this edition of Texans All Access, a Friday edition of TGIFF edition of Texans All Access. Thank God it's Football Friday right here on Sports Radio 610 Odyssey app, or I don't know, maybe you're listening to it on the Texans app. Either way, appreciate you being here with me, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter, uh, and glad always to be with you. Now, I have stressed a little bit about this segment because I knew I was going to have to say the name of the Texans safety coach, Stephen Agadoke. And hopefully, Stephen, hopefully I've said that as close to right as possible. Stephen Agadoke, he is absolutely tremendous. When we got done with this interview and we shut the mics off, I turned and said, okay, you just let me know when you're going to be a head coach. You listen to this interview and you tell me that this man doesn't have a future as a head coach, whether it's in college football, whether it's NFL, this guy is going to be a leader of men for a very long, long time. Stephen Agadoke with us, and then we'll hear from John Grenard and Drew Dory. All right, joining us now in the Hyundai Texans radio studio, it's Stephen Agadoke, the safeties coach for your Texans. How's it going, Stephen? I'm great, blessed. How about yourself? Uh, great, great to have you in with us. And let's first of all talk about how the adjustment has been coaching with this team after everything you've been through in your career so far. Uh, everything's been smooth, been a great transition. We have a great group of guys all over the defense, and the coaching staffs made this a really smooth transition. and I've just been blessed to be in this position. You got some guys in the back end, Coach, that they got a little bit of attitude. I mean, in a good way, in a good way, in Jimmy and Jalen. Let's start with Jimmy. What has Jimmy brought to the defense? Now, you were in San Francisco, so you saw him a little bit there, but now you're seeing him here. What are your thoughts about Jimmy and what he's brought to this defense, what he's brought to Houston? I like to say they all play with passion. There you go. That's a a better word. Football passion. Yeah, that's a good Uh, word. Jimmy is a very intelligent football player, extremely instinctive. Uh, I think his blood type is football. So <laughs> that's good. I mean, it speaks volumes yeah. to the work he puts in and um, just the way he recognizes plays. His football awareness is off the charts. What yeah. about Petrie for a young player, what he's doing so far? And you weren't with him year one of his mm-hmm. career, but you're with him year two. And what are you seeing in his development? Uh, Jalen is a uh, very, as well, passionate player. Mm-hmm. Um, his energy is contagious, to say the least. I mean, he always has a smile and always a positive mindset. So that that in and of itself, I mean, helps him just get the day started. You come in a room, you're ready to learn. You're ready to embrace your teammates. Like, 
that's just a great start to your day. So no matter what we install, no matter what we're playing that week, no technique, he's going to approach it with a positive mindset. So that helps you just from the very start. Coach, we've talked to a lot of players. Hey, what's it like to play for D'Amico Ryans? So now we're going to ask coaches, what's it like to coach alongside D'Amico Ryans? D'Amico is a tremendous man, first and foremost. Yeah. A man of faith, a guy that I look up to. I admire his work ethic, his passion, not only for football, but for his family as yeah. well. So no matter what it is, like family first, right? Yep. And so it makes it easy to come to work and want to work for someone or work along, alongside someone like that. Yep. So. It's been it's been tremendous. How much of playing safety, Stephen and Stephen Adagoke, safety's coach with us. How much of playing safety is to stick to exactly what is designed for that defense versus I got to go make a play? And there's a no, 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 yes, good job kind of element to what they do there on the field. Uh, I'd like to say that safety, you have to have a lot of awareness, you have to have formation recognition, and so you recognize the formation, you've seen the tendencies from this formation, so now. I'm not just making a guess. I'm making a calculated estimation of what's going to happen, and now I can do it with fundamentals and technique. Mm -hmm. So it's not just going off the rails and doing my own thing. Now I understand the coverage. Where is my strengths? Where are we uh, liable to get you know attacked in this coverage? And now how can I make a play with the, within playing the integrity of the call? You've been coaching a number of different spots. You're still a young guy. Have you gotten a 30 yet? No, you're not even <laughs> at 30. I didn't think so. God dang it, man. Young dudes. Mm -hmm. But you started your coaching career at Florida where you were on the staff and you had a player by the name of John Grenard. So John Grenard at Florida, John Grenard is a Texan. You've kind of been able to see him at both stops. Coach, what have you seen in kind of the growth of John Grenard in both of those stops? John Grenard and Damian Pierce, both That's right. tremendous, tremendous workers. Yeah. First and foremost, very hardworking individuals. And being around John on the defensive side, I mean, he's a passionate player as well, plays with a physical mindset, and whatever you tell him to do, whatever you ask him to do, he's going to go execute it to the best of his abilities. And it's like just to see this progression so far, still young in his career, has been awesome to see. So you used the word passion a few times, which I love. I'm glad you used that. But you've used that, and we've gotten to know those guys over the years, so we, we understand that. So when you're looking for players to add, whether it's through waivers, whether it's through trades, you, et cetera, and you're looking at that particular player – how much, how important is it for that player to have that passion to be able to play for your defense, to be able to play for you? We preach effort, physicality. Um, so having passion for the game isn't just about just being a Texan. Like, why do I play football? Right. Why am I? Want? Why am I? I yeah. Why am I out here? Yeah. Right. It starts in you know youth ball. Then you get to high school. Then you go to college. You got to make a commitment. This right. off season workout. This. Then you go to NFL. Where, hey, you know what, that alarm clock, you know, it's up to you whether or not you set it. Yeah. So you have organized team activities in offseason, then you get to training camp, and then at least you're guaranteed 17 scheduled games. So now what's my commitment every week, the off day, right, right? that Tuesday, the Wednesday, the Thursday, the Friday? Mm -hmm. Like, why am I doing this? To get better, you know, each and every day, to embrace the culture, right. to bring up the level of play of the guys around me. So – Having passion when you do something, it means you're operating with intent. So each and every day, those are the type of people I want to be around. So you know when they wake up, my goal is to be the best version of myself to assist the people around me. So when you enter a football, uh, let's say a football facility, you're with your guys, like I know whether or not this guy makes a mistake, he means well. Right. He means his intent is to help the team. So you can always work with people like that. Yep. Great stuff, Coach. Thanks a lot for being with us. Good luck to you. Anytime. Thank you. 
Now, one of the things about Coach was he was at Florida, his first coaching job, and he had two players that he became, well, I would imagine close to when he was at Florida, and he is reunited with them in Houston. One is Damian Pierce. Unfortunately, we won't see DP on Sunday. But another one is John Grenard, and I segue right into our Drew's Dozen this week, is with the man who has six sacks on the air at two and a half against the Panthers last week, JG52, doing a little Drew's Dozen. Let's go, boys. You get lots of sacks, man. So what's more fun, sacking a quarterback from the blind side when he doesn't know where you're coming or seeing the quarterback see you and then you get him? Which you like better? As I guess as bad as it sounds, I definitely love the blind side sack because now I've already put my work in on that side by beating the man in front of me. And then I just hate it when I do that. And then let's say he sees me and he just escapes us all that place for nothing. So definitely, definitely the blind side sack is number one. How many times have you been complimented by a quarterback for what you've done? Not many. Most of them don't like me. I, I would say... Uh, I try to be, you know, nice or if I bump him after I like a play or something like that, I try to like give him a little love tap on the side, like, you know, I was here now. But outside of that, yeah, I would probably say not many. I mean, maybe a few, but not, nothing too crazy. I was always amazed at the Andrew Luck whenever he was mic'd yeah. up and how he'd always oh, come. Yeah. I was like, is there anyone else that does that? So yeah. thought I'd ask. I actually met your family before the Atlanta Falcons game. Who's the loudest of your family when they're out in the stands? Oh, my Dukes, 1,000%. Your mom. Um, well, she would, she would probably disagree because – if she's at the game, she's always kind of nervous. Um, now, if we got, like, a good lead or whatever, now nah, she's like, okay, cool. But if it's, like, crunch time, she's, like, locked in, super quiet. But definitely her. She, she's definitely louder. Does she have something very particular that she yells for you? Not really. So, well, I take that back. She does say, I always say, go get the sack, 52. Like, that's all. Like, she just, that's all her mind is me hitting the quarterback. That's all she loves to hear and see pretty much. But, yeah, I mean, outside of that, we uh, definitely pray before the game. So that's the one thing that she does for me every game, whether it's a phone call or she's there. Thankfully, it's kind of a new experience. She's been at the game, so actually to physically do it in person has helped out a lot. So When you're eating together as a family, what was, what's been the go-to meal? What do you love the most that she mm. makes? If you're going to ask me, okay, I'm going like a Sunday soul food spread. So obviously the fried chicken or sometimes it'll be fried pork chops, Ooh. some uh, mac and cheese, collard greens, ham hocks in there, don't forget that, uh, or the turkey leg and it depends on who you are. And mac and cheese, collard greens, mashed potatoes, cornbread. Honestly, there's not nothing she can't cook in my opinion, but definitely I would go for the uh, soul food Sundays for sure. Said fried chicken. Do you spread it around or are you just drumsticks? Just bread? You, what do you, how do you do it? So we prefer, I mean, if we're going, she cooks, she always cooking wings. So, okay. you know, if maybe some drums here and there, but we try to stay away from like the thighs or the breasts like that. It's just too much work. But yeah, she's definitely going to have the wings and the drumsticks uh, ready every single second and fried shrimp as well. Fried shrimp? Yeah, she's going to throw that in there as well. Do you put anything on the shrimp or dip uh, it in either, I either put some hot sauce or some cocktail sauce or tartar sauce, you name it. Literally, I do not discriminate when it comes to eating that food. Mix it up. I like it. <laughs> okay, uh, let's say if the family was going to go on family feud. Okay. Who's the wow. member of the family, and you're included, but of the, the family, who's giving the most inappropriate answers that are going to make Steve Harvey <laughs> do those funny faces at the camera? <laughs> it actually might be. It's probably a topic between my mom and my brother. Okay. My brother would probably say some like, he wouldn't say like off the wall, but like he would say to just kind of look like, wait, what? But it actually might be a good one. Like it's just sure. one of those, you might, he's like one of those deep thinkers. So yeah, definitely the top is one of them too. All right. Uh, good to know. Good to know. Okay. What's the most overrated Thanksgiving side dish? Oh man, side dish. Like you just don't. To be honest with you, none. I eat every single thing Everything, on Thanksgiving. Huh? From dressing to the yams to, I put a cranberry sauce obviously on the uh, dressing as well. Turkey, look, a lot of people don't like turkey because it's like, it says it's dry, but try frying it. Frying the turkey is definitely better. It keeps the moisture in there as well. Ham, I eat literally any and everything on Thanksgiving. So, I mean, like, that's, 
I love Thanksgiving. It's coming up, obviously. My mom will be in town, too. Thanks. Shout out to mom. She will be cooking up a good little meal for us. So we're going to be eating good over there in the Grenard household. All right, let's uh, call out bad teammates, okay? Ooh. Bad teammates. Which of your teammates is Ooh. most likely to microwave their leftover fish dinner in the community break room, if you were to have a community break room down in the locker room, but if you, and then eat it at their cubicle desk with all these other people around it? I'm sorry. He's going to hate me. Kurt Heinish. Kurt uh, Heinish. I feel like Kurt would probably go in there and, you know, because Kurt get right to business. You know, he's he is, he, he's gonna get right to it, and <laughs> I feel like if he's hungry, he's hungry. He's gonna heat up whatever he got to do to make sure he gets fed. So yeah, sorry, Kurt, but yeah, Kurt's definitely uh, <laughs> a guy who's out because he's doing that. Kurt better bring one of those scented candles to make <laughs> things go right, right? Okay, you just got called out in a very nice way mm. by JJ Watt, yeah, and yeah. he said one of the reasons you're playing so great. She got a new baby. Congratulations yeah, on it. that. How is fatherhood treating you? It's good. I was just telling somebody earlier, uh, she gave us a run for our money last night. Uh oh. But just in general, just like. How so? I mean, she would not go to sleep last oh. night. I mean, she was just up. Whether she whether she was just chilling or fussing a little bit, she was just up. And me and her, just it's three in the morning, we're staring at each other. And it's like, <laughs> hey, listen, I'm, I'm, we're both not supposed to be up right now. You're supposed to be asleep. But it's been great. I mean, obviously, people have the stories and kind of scare people a little bit at times. But ultimately, like, you know, when you hear those cries at night or in the morning, you know you're getting up for your child, you know, and you sure. know that she needs you. And, and I just think that that makes it more, you know, easier for me to get up because she can't communicate. That's her only way of communicating what she's feeling as is, is making her in some type of discomfort. So as soon as I get up, I just know I'm taking care of her and then she ends up, you know, obviously stop crying. For me, at least, I don't know about mama. Mama Bear gets different uh, Raina at home than, than daddy does when I come home. But but it's just a great feeling when knowing that, like I said, you're getting up for that and um, and you can be that hero for that split second. It's a, it's a great feeling. I like it. Okay, so how, how many months is it now? Two? She's about to be two months. About to be two months. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a lot of time, actually. Yeah. Yeah. What is one tip or bit of advice you have, like something you've learned that you pass on, like, I didn't know this, but hey, look out for this. Not necessarily just something like that, but I would just say about being more intentional, period, about every yeah. step you make, every decision you make. It makes you reevaluate your views, makes you reevaluate family, friends, you know, your circle, your village that's going to be helping you out. Yeah. Um, because as we all know, when, when the baby comes, everybody wants to come say, hey, I want to see the baby, but... When that when the stuff gets rocky, you know, God forbid, if anything, you just trying to make sure that you know that she's going to be well protected and well surrounded by love no matter who she's around. So you have to just be cautious of who you invite as your company or who she's coming in contact with. So I'm just super, super more intentional about just who I am as a man, as a human, and how I want her to view me moving forward and how she should view any man or any male presence uh, moving forward and that she's going to be surrounded with. So definitely doing that is the biggest thing that I can take away from it. You're a talented guy. We've talked at length many, many times on this interview about your singing background. So yeah. you, uh, you sing anything I, to, listen, the, to your I, daughter? Whatever, whatever song is singing that is on, like it's a little kitty YouTube song or her little rocker that has a song, I pretty much memorize it now. So I figure I just try to sing whatever she listens to at that point or whatever she likes. Coco Melon is there, number one, and she probably can't even see what Coco Melon right, is. Right. But she just knows that rhythm. And that uh, that that type of melody, mommy, um, yeah, mommy. exactly. Yes, so you, you hear that, and this, <laughs> and she instantly starts com uh, calming down. And it's a couple songs, it's Christmas songs that play like the instrumentals um, on her oh, little yeah. rocker right now. So I, I'm definitely on those all the time, and those are easy to remember too because oh, yeah. they're the same ones that we've all heard growing up. What's your favorite Christmas song? I like White Christmas, and I also let's see, it's another one. Any this Christmas song, whether it's Chris Brown one or the old one, but <sighs> Rocking Around a Christmas Tree is another one that's uh, that that she loves, that plays on the actual instrumental part, so I done dang near memorized that whole melody the entire way. So, But I love that time. Christmas is the best time of the year, obviously, so I love it. I love listening to all the songs. 
Well, Feliz Navidad to you, Jonathan uh, Bernard, and we will Likewise. do this again very soon. Best of luck to you. Yes, Thanks sir. so much for the time, man. Thank y'all for having me. Always real. That it is, JG. It's always real. Fun? Absolutely. Real? Absolutely. So it's real fun. But I appreciate John and Drew and Coach for stopping by. We get back. I got to pick these games. We got a full weekend. So let's do it. Against the spread straight up for fun. For fun. We do that next on Texans All Access. Oh, yes, sir. Welcome back to this edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, and reached my favorite segment of the week because I get to talk about every single NFL game happening this weekend. That's right. I picked them straight up and against the spread for fun. We hit the high points, and we buzzed along. And you just get an opportunity to, well, I don't know, compete against me. What do you, what do you believe in? Do you want to go... With me, go against me. Either way, it's kind of fun. We kind of play along, if you will. It's like, uh, you know, the play-at-home toy kit you get. Hey, play along with me at home. Well, as you're listening, you tell me what you think. As soon as you hear Dolphins v. Chiefs, you're going to go Chiefs or Dolphins or Dolphins against the spread. Well, for me, I picked them against the spread and straight up. So, give me my music, get me hyped, and let's talk some NFL football And, as I said, it starts with Dolphins and Chiefs. But, quick recap, Thursday night football, Steelers beat the Titans. If you follow my YouTube page, I did a pick three. I do a pick three every week there. And on the Thursday night game, I picked Steelers to win. They did. Steelers to cover two and a half. They did. And under 36 and a half, 16 plus 20 is 36. Under 3 and 0 on Thursday night. Uh, So, you can go check out my YouTube page, at JH Football Takeover. So, appreciate that. But, it was... Kind of what you expected from the Steelers-Titans. What I didn't expect from the Titans was them to be so so proficient in the first half with Will Levis throwing a football. DeAndre Hopkins was very, very good in the first half, but he got most of his catches and most of his yards in the first half. Second half, it was the Pittsburgh Steelers who, I don't say ran away with it, but a 13-10 halftime score, Nick Folk hit a field goal right at the buzzer to make it 13-10, came out. 10-3 to three in the second half. Steelers get the win. Boswell with a field goal. And then Deontay Johnson caught a three-yard pass from Kenny Pickett. Now, the interesting aspect coming out of this game is that George Pickens is not happy with the Steelers. He unfollowed everybody in black and gold and blah, blah, blah. So, uh, just, again, somebody in the NFL, young, doesn't know how to deal with his frustration, deciding to handle it in an immature way. And here's the thing. George Pickens mad about what? That he was the one that didn't drag his second foot in that would have been a touchdown earlier in the game? So what's he mad about? It's just it's just ridiculous. And here's the thing. Everybody knew he was this way coming out of Hoover High School. Everybody knew he was this way coming out of Georgia. That's why he was a second-round pick. He's just an immature young dude. Doesn't know how to handle uh, not getting the football as much, I guess, as he wanted to. So, anyways, he's mad. And, oh, by the way, the Steelers won. So that should tell you a little something. All right, let's get that game in Germany. The Dolphins are taking on the Chiefs. The Chiefs are one-and-a-half-point favorite over in Frankfurt. And so, man, this is fun. I, I mean, I kind of wish the game were in Arrowhead or down in Hard Rock. I don't know. I don't like games in Hard Rock, to be honest. They just don't have that vibe. Arrowhead does. But, hey, it's in Germany. They're going to great one. 6-2 Miami, 6-2 KC. KC's favored by a point and a half. I think I'm going to go with the Dolphins in this one. I just think some of their explosive plays, they've been playing more explosively than the Chiefs have. The Chiefs really struggled last week um, against Denver. Now Mahomes was sick. Then they had to get back on the bird and fly out to Germany. Uh, and they just got there today, whereas Dolphins, I think, left on Monday or Tuesday. So this one, I think, means a lot to Mike McDaniel because, as he said in the locker room, if you listen to their mic'd up, he said, 
hey, we got to be the team that matters. They lost to the Eagles. They lost to the Bills. They got smashed in both games. We got to be the team that matters. Well, Kansas City matters. And I think the Dolphins will win the game. So a little mild upset. Dolphins beating the Chiefs over in Germany and obviously covering that one-and-a-half-point spread where Kansas City is favored. All right, let's go out to Baltimore where another great matchup. This one in the morning, well, morning at noon as our game starts. 5-2 and two Seahawks traveling to the 6-2 and two Ravens. And the last time these two met, this was when the, the legend of Lamar Jackson really kicked in. They had a fourth and short, called a timeout. John Harbaugh called over Lamar. Hey, you want to go for this? He's like, heck yeah, we want to go for this. They, Lamar then ran in for a touchdown. Then they reeled off every win for the rest of the season. And I think it's going to happen here. I think Baltimore's going to win this game. I do like the Seattle Seahawks. I really do. And then they've added Leonard Williams. I think it's going to help them. But this is a tough one. You're on East Coast body clock time, traveling all the way across country, Baltimore at home. Now, Baltimore's been banged up, but still, I think Baltimore's going to win this game. And I think they're going to win it. Not big, but I think they're going to just barely cover. It's feel like a seven-point game, 31-24, 28-21, something like that. Ravens win, Ravens cover. All right, let's go to Cleveland for the next one. It's at noon. Deshaun Watson will start and will play for the Browns against the 1-7 Cardinals. So, yeah, the games against the Ravens, games against the 49ers, didn't play. Tried to play against the 3-4 and four Colts. Will play against the 1-7 Cardinals. I'm not saying anything at all. Cleveland's favored by 10. Cleveland's going to win this game. But I'm going to give the Cardinals the opportunity to get inside that 10. I think the Cardinals are going to cover that. I do think the Browns are going to win. And I think they'll, I don't want to say win it handily. I just think they're going to make the Cardinals chase. And the Cardinals just don't have that yet. Now, Kyler Murray is questionable. It sounds like he's not going to play. And it sounds like this is going to be a Clayton Toon joint. And Clayton is going to be the starter. So, I do think Clayton will, you know what, I take that back. If Clayton Toon is a starter, I'm going to give the Browns a cover. Not so much because I don't believe in Clayton Toon, but I just think it's going to be tough for a rookie going against that Browns defense. So let's go Browns win, Browns cover. I hate doing it, but got to do it. Bears going to the Saints. Uh, Bears just made the move for Montez Sweat. We'll see how much he plays against New Orleans Saints. Saints got a big win last week against the Colts. They scored 38. Ain't the, uh, the, ain't. the Saints are favored by eight. Over the Bears, I think the Saints are going to cover that. I think they win anything by 10. Looks like Tyson Bajan is going to start again. Uh, Justin Fields is doubtful. I've never seen a doubtful start or play. So we're going to go with the Saints to win that thing by 10, 34-24. Sweat's going to make a little bit of a difference. Um, but it's going to be the Saints that get it done at home over the Bears. 4-4 four four Vikings, 4-4 four four Falcons. Two new starters, Kirk Cousins, Torres, Achilles, looks like Jaron Hall will start for the Vikings in that one. And Desmond Ritter has been benched for the time being, and that will be Taylor Heineke. So if you had Jaron Hall, Taylor Heineke matching up this year, uh, well, cash in your bingo card. Atlanta's favored by three and a half. I don't really know where to go with this, to be honest. I'm just going to go with the home team. So I'm going to go Falcons to win this thing. I think Taylor Heineke is a better quarterback than people think. I think he'll give them enough. Taylor Heineke, Falcons win, and they're going to cover. They're going to win this thing 24-17. Something in that range, 21-17, somewhere there. Jaron Hall, I think, will do well. I think he'll get out of the pocket and move, make some plays off schedule. Um, but the Vikings just don't have enough ammunition without Kirk. Falcons win, and they cover the three and a half. Rams going out to the Packers. Green Bay is favored by three, which basically says the Rams and Packers are even. Matt Stafford's been banged up. He's questionable for this one. If he doesn't play, well, we're just going to go with the Packers regardless. they got to bounce back. they got to get a win. they got to get the three and five. So let's go Packers to win and cover the three over the L.A. Rams in Green Bay. Another one. you got to love it. Three and five Washington. Two and six New England. Yay! New England's favored by two and a half. So, 
The odds makers say that the Commanders are just a shade better. I think they're going to win this football game. Sam Howell's played some decent football lately. He just takes too many sacks. If he can curtail that, I think Commanders could actually be a, a feisty little team. So I'm going to give the Commanders a win at New England. They're going to win this thing 24-20. Uh, mild upset beating the Patriots um, with the Patriots by two and a half. So Commanders win, Commanders cover. Colts taking on the Panthers in Carolina. Let's go Panthers. Let's go Panthers. Can't really believe I'm saying that, but I guess I am. Uh, Indianapolis favored by two and a half. I think Panthers are going to win this one. I really think they're going to win this one. I really can't believe I'm saying that. But I, I felt like the Panthers were, I would say, better than I expected. I knew they had some dudes. Frankie Louvre played out of his mind. He was fantastic. Brian Burns was great. Any one of those, either one of those guys are hurt, we win that game by, by 10. And we should have probably won it by 10 anyways. But either way, um, I don't know that I don't know that the Colts are going to provide as much resistance. So, see the Panthers 28-24. Get the win over Indianapolis in Charlotte. Giants taking on the Raiders. Raiders interim head coach Antonio Pierce going to be coaching his first game. Taking on Brian Dable and the the uh, Giants. There will be no Darren Waller. Darren Waller's been banged up, so he will not make that appearance against his former team, the Raiders. It's out in Las Vegas. Ra- Vegas favored by a point and a half. I'm going to give it to the Raiders. I think they'll play with a little bit of juice, a little bit of energy. I think Hunter Renfro is going to show himself uh, in this particular game. So, He's going to get to football. Raiders are going to win this thing by more point and half. Well, it'll be low scoring. But it'll be probably a good three to five point win for the Raiders at home. That'll move them to four and five. Cowboys-Eagles Sunday afternoon. Boy, this is a good one. Eagles at home favored by three. So Vegas is telling you Cowboys and Eagles are on the same line. I don't think that's the case. I think the Eagles are better. I think the Eagles will prove it. They'll win this thing by 10-31-21. They'll at least cover the three, put it that way. And the Eagles will win. They'll move to 8-1. And, and then Sunday night, my gosh, Bills-Bengals? Come on now. This is going to be awesome. This is in Cincinnati now. We all know what happened last year on Monday night. DeMar Hamlin, um, unfortunately, DeMar was, was able to bounce back from that. But this is a great football game. Uh, but the Bengals are hot. Bengals are favored by 2.5. And, uh, and we'd really – I, I kind of don't really – I don't know exactly where I want this one to go. So, I just think the Bengals are playing better than the Bills are. So, I'm going to go Bengals to win and cover the three. It's going to be like 37-34. They're going to get after it. 37-34. And then Monday night, well, we'll talk about that on Monday. Chargers taking on the Jets in New Jersey. And the Chargers are favorite. That's interesting. But we'll talk about that one on Monday. But let's get the Bengals a win and a cover at home on Sunday night football. All right, that's going to do it for our predictions. When we get back, let's hear a little bit from D'Amico Ryans and Gene Deckeroff, who's calling the game for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's next on Texas All Access. We got one final segment of this edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, and we got a lot to do. We're going to learn a little bit more about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers through two unique voices. One, well, you know very well, but we figured, you know what? D'Amico Ryans is really fun to talk football with, so we got a little bit from our discussion with D'Amico about the Tampa Bay Bucks, keeping the pads on getting ready for Halloween. So we got D'Amico Ryans, and then we're going to hear from Gene Deckeroff, longtime play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And when I was living in Florida, well, he still is the Florida State voice as well. So he does Florida State, and he does the Bucks. So I used to listen to him with Florida State. And so when I realized he's with the Bucks, I always love listening to him discuss his teams 
I just love it. And the fact that Mark used to be a Kane and Gene is a Noel, I just love it. So we're going to hear from D'Amico Ryans and Gene Deckeroff. Let's start with D'Amico giving us his thoughts on Tampa Bay. Coach, I know you're not all the way in the Tampa Bay yet, but they did play on Thursday. So imagine you got a peek at it on Thursday night. Maybe you've seen Baker Mayfield before a little bit. Are there any similarities you can take out of facing Bryce that you maybe could take in facing Baker, uh, I mean, size-wise, whatever, but just kind of their, their games. And Mark kept saying the word slippery. Bryce is slippery. Baker's got a little bit of that, too. Kind of any similarities you can take from those two, and what do you think about facing Baker this week? I think both guys just have that little moxie, that little if factor. They scramble around and can make some plays on you. So yeah, I yeah. think it's the same game plan for me. You talk about Baker, I know playing him last year, the biggest thing with him was – uh, he had a ton of uh, batted passes, mm. like so. Just the angle at which the ball comes out from the, from his quarterback position, I think we got to do a better job defensively this week, like the Panthers did of getting our hands up if we can't get there. Try to bat some passes down, and the ball is coming out quick as well. So we just have to be on a tight coverage, assault in the middle of the pocket, yeah. truly try to affect Baker as much as possible. Yeah. So these aren't the Brady Bucks, but they're the Baker Bucks. <laughs> and a lot of your young players watched them play in the Super Bowl three years ago during the COVID season, and they've got a lot of those guys still there. You have yeah. Super Bowl winners on this team, and that's got to help get everybody's attention. Yeah, it does, especially when it comes to their defense, right? Their defense, they have a lot of big-time playmakers on their defense. Again, like you said, these guys, they know what it takes. Really good football team. They've been there. They've been to where we're all trying to go to that mm-hmm. Super Bowl, so they know what it takes. Going to be a tough opponent for us, all right? Uh, but I think our guys coming in off of this week, right, bad taste in our mouth. Mm-hmm. You know our guys are going to be fired up. They're going to be ready to go. Hey, we know the Bucks are too. They haven't won a game in a, in a few weeks. So it's going to be a really, I think, a really physical, really tough matchup. Coach, I know the, the old coaching mantra, hey, we take them one at a time. It's one at a time. But four of the next five are at home. For for you, for the team to be back here at Energy Stadium for four of the next five, how do you kind of look at that little stretch? Like I said, I know it's one at a time, but you look at that stretch and think, man, we're at home for these five. We really can can make some noise here. Man, thanks for that breaking news. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know it. So, <laughs> so man, focused on the wait, next one. Yep. <laughs> okay, just, just, just today. Thank you, thank you. That's all. Yeah. But I, that does that makes me feel good knowing that four of the next five are home. Right. Like. Guys should be comfortable, no traveling, locked in, man, ready to go, excited to play in front of our fans, giving them something yeah. right, to cheer for. And, you know, we played well at home the past you know, a couple times we've been out, so, yeah. hey, let's go do it again. Yeah. You had the injury to Jarrett, and we're not expecting you to give us the whole plan, yeah. and maybe you don't have it yet, but does it help in a way that you've been through a lot already on the <laughs> offensive line? You've oh. had to move things around. You don't want to have to do right. that, but you've had to do that, and you've had some wins anyway. Yeah, don't want to have to do that and mm-hmm. hate that this comes up again, right? Yeah. So it's such an unfortunate break at, and for our offensive line is throughout the year. But uh, Coach Trosser, he's been able to piece it all together and keep mm-hmm. him going no matter who's been in there. So credit to him first and foremost for that. And we know somebody else had to step in. That center, very important important piece, right? Cause people miss – people don't see it all the time. But the communication aspect of that center position, and it's a lot that goes into it. So whoever steps in, right, they have – pick shoes to fill because Patterson did a great job. Yeah, what about the job he did as a rookie coach and he wasn't projected by many to step right. in and do what he did? Yeah, it's impressive. You know, he's kind of – I said it was kind of like quiet as – like you didn't mention him much because mm-hmm. he he was doing his job. Yeah, <laughs> that was, yeah. That's a good, a good thing, thing, right? You're yeah. not mentioning him for, right, screwing up a play or busting. Like he had, a, he had us in position. 
He had did a great job of ID and protections, getting us on the right people, right, giving us a chance. Even when there was a lot of different people around him <laughs> on both sides, he stayed the course. He was consistent with uh, with the job and the task that he was given, and proud of what he was able to do for us. Playing a position he wasn't even, you know, we weren't even thinking that he would be a center for yeah. us this year. For him to step in and do the job he's done, I'm very proud of him. Coach, the other side of the ball, you got Hassan back. Uh, yesterday, how'd you think he did in his return, and what does he kind of bring in your defense? Yeah, Ridge did. Uh, he did a solid job stepping in. You know, it's been a while, so yeah. it's still a little rusty, but I think sure. he did a good job of just playing style. That's one of the keys to us playing really good in the run game was uh, Ridgeway and what he brought to us yesterday. Really yeah. good job there, and also right pushing the middle of the pocket. He had some really nice reps of really disrupting the guard, knocking him back into the quarterback's lap. So Ridge is just going to continue to get better as he continues to play throughout the rest of the year. Yeah. How about Malik being able to get into the backfield as much as he does at that position? Yeah, Malik, man, he's he finds a way. He's slippery in there. Yeah. Very slippery guy. We're trying to ask him to be just more direct in his rushes. He did that this past game, and he was effective, right? Getting back there, getting the sacks on the quarterback, right? Causing pressure, making the quarterback speed his process up. So it was really good to see Malik, you know, shine for us in the pass rush. And Coach, you had Denzel back uh, yesterday, yeah. and you could tell there were some – you can always tell when Denzel's on the field because <laughs> you see a blur into a hole and then somebody hit really, really hard. You're like, okay, that's Denzel. Like a lot of times I'm spotting for Mark, and I'm like, Denzel, I don't even really see it. I All just right. see this blur, and you know, okay, that's got to be Denzel. <laughs> and I know he got banged up a little bit, but what's he, what's he done and what's he bringing to your defense? He brings that physical – presence that we that we need on our defense yeah. right and that I love what he brings when when Denzel hits you yeah. he's gonna knock you back right so yeah. it's uh it's fun watching him play football he loves football it's fun watching him play with the physical style that he brings to our to our defense love that about him and hopefully that just rubs off on everybody else yeah. on that second level they continue to play as physical as Denzel plays yeah. I'll probably ask you this every couple of weeks but at what point in the season do we get to I'm going to lighten the load a little bit on practice here because <laughs> we're getting deeper into the season now you still have 10 games left you still have the world of possibilities in front of you here but how do you handle practice as we get into November oh we got to keep going Mark. we got to okay. keep going okay. keep going not letting up right now we'll keep going keep pressing uh, it's just and we'll get a good feel for it as we continue to progress mm -hmm. and go throughout the season. But I think for where we are right now, still a lot of things to clean up mm -hmm. that I think we can uh, we have to still put attention to, really get more reps. I think the more reps we do, a young team, I think mm -hmm. the more reps they get at get at doing certain things, the better we'll get at it and the better it'll show up on Sundays. Coach, as a player, did you like being in pads because that kind of kept you in the mode of being physical at all times as opposed to kind of ramping down during the week and then having to get ready for Sunday that if you were in pads a little bit more, then you could kind of stay in that mode. Did you kind of like being in pads or did you like take them off and just be rested and be ready to go for Sunday? No one likes pads. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Everybody, everybody, run. <laughs> all right. everybody okay. runs from the pads, even yeah. me too. But, yeah. <laughs> but something, but it's the best thing for you. Right. I mean, for us too, like I talked about, we needed to off the bat, off the bye week, improve our tackling. Yeah. Like mm. the only way to improve that is really to put the pads on, yeah. throw it up and get better. But as you see your team grow and see where we, end up, let's say, in the next four weeks or so, maybe there may be a time to take the pads off, make sure the guys are rested and recovered. Yeah. But when you don't have the pads on and you're a bit physical, doesn't it hurt more or something like that? Doesn't it help to have the pads or am I just being silly here? We still wear some little yeah. you know, soft shells to yeah. protect ourselves, but 
Got to be physical at all times. Yes. <laughs> all right. See, it changes because as a player, you're kind of like, man, take these pads off. But as a coach, you're like, let's hit. You got to get let's, better, let's, baby. You got to get better. Guys. All right. The Amogee Bank Ask Coach question of the week. Now, it is Halloween. All right. And we didn't ask you about this last week because we knew we had this show. And this is a Uh-oh. Super Bowl type of experience for the kids. We all know that, coach. Yep. So take us back to your youth and a Halloween costume that you really enjoyed wearing as a little kid. And tell us, for instance, what Mike is going to be for Halloween. Oh, wow. It's kind of similar as Spider-Man. Okay. So Ooh, nice. Yeah. Micah, he loves Spider-Man <laughs> as well. Uh, so my boys, they, they he loves Spider-Man. My, uh, they had a Halloween party right, mm-hmm. this past weekend, but they did Spider-Man. So my oldest son, MJ, he dressed up as Warren Moon. Oh, oh nice. So, yeah. wow. <laughs> uh, nice. My daughter, Zia, she was Serena Williams. So she had her tennis racket and all. And Micah, he's CJ Stroud. That's his guy. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. He's CJ Stroud. Daddy, I'm number seven. I'm that's CJ. Good. Does CJ know cool. this? Does he know that he. I got to tell him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear that. Oh, yeah. So. Now, you'll be working. I was going to say, on Halloween night, you sit out on the porch and you hand out the candy. And if you hand out the candy, <laughs> are you handing out full-size candy bars or are you handing out the fun size and giving, giving many of those? No, full-size candy okay, full bars. Size. All right, full yeah. size. All right. Yeah, that's For a limited hell. time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> While supplies last. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but you'll be working. So. Oh, yeah. And definitely, Coach was putting in that time. There's no question about that. All right, let's get to – Florida State seminal play-by-play man and the play-by-play voice of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the venerable Gene Deckeroff. Now, these two gentlemen, Mark Vandermeer and Gene Deckeroff, called games against one another when Mark was the voice of the Hurricanes from 98 through 2001, 99 through 2001. And I always love it when they get together. I just hear Gene's voice. It reminds me of the time I spent in Jacksonville listening to Florida State. McHubert at Florida. It's always great. So let's catch up with Gene Deckeroff and learn a little bit more about these Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Joining us now on Texans Radio, it's the legendary voice of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Gene Deckerhoff, old friend of mine. Gene, it's so great to have you on. How's it going? Mark, it's going great, except the Bucks are three and four, and we don't have Tom Brady, you know. But uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's a brand new football game, Mark. And, uh, you know, the Bucks are playing decent football. You just can't get that. You just can't get that win. You know, you beat yourself with a penalty. You beat yourself with a uh, not converting on third down and short. It's uh, it's just one of those those things, and you, you got to live with it. You look around the league. There's, Mark, there's a lot of a lot of weird stuff happening in the National Football League this year. Crazy stuff. It is weird. Well, let's start there because I feel like almost every team is win one, lose one, win one, lose one. Everybody yeah. feels like they're three and four, four and three. Everybody around five hundred. But that's how they want it, right? <laughs> parody, I guess, is the, the key word. I heard that so many, you know, even before I started broadcasting Buccaneer football at 89, I heard parody, parody, parody. And now and it's beginning to sink in, you know. Uh, who would have thought the Buccaneers have lost, you know, three in a row and the San Francisco 49ers have lost three in a row? You know, it's apples and oranges, I know. But uh, who would have thought that? It's just phenomenal the way the, the, way the season's playing out. I, it looks to me like, uh, Detroit looked pretty good the other night on Thursday. Uh, they beat us 20 to six. Uh, we're one of the few teams that held them to 20 or less. And, uh, but they, they ran the ball right down our throat and, uh, you know, they got rid of their top two rushes from last year. How do they do that? But the, Detroit looks good. Philadelphia beat us pretty bad. That's our worst loss of the season. But, uh, other than that, I mean, you know, you get a coach fired, uh, what, seven games into the season. I mean, good grief. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Well, give me the theme of this three-game losing streak because you're within one play of beating Buffalo. 
You're very close with Atlanta. What's been a theme, if any, to losing three in a row, Gene? Well, Coach Todd Bowles continues to say at his press conference that we have to be better at communicating and then then obviously executing. Uh, The communication thing is it's not coach speak, but it's something that that you and I, we we think communicate, you pick up your phone, you call somebody. But it's, it's communication between linebackers, defensive backs, corners and safeties and the loss to the loss to Atlanta, Coach Bowles said in his press conference after the game and then in his Monday press conference and also on Total Access, the radio show that he does on Monday, he said we had practiced defensively against that play 15 times during the week. We knew they had mm-hmm. it in their arsenal and we had practiced it and we, and we, we played it well in practice. And, uh, you know, Kyle Pitts gets so wide open. So uh, you and I could have thrown a pass to him. And it's a 41-yard gain. They had 45 seconds left after we tied the game at 13-13. And one play, they're ready for a young way coup field goal. And he doesn't miss many, and uh, that was it. As the horn sounded, he kicked the field goal, and that's the story of that ball game. But uh, I, I, I'll say this, Mark: the Bucks have had problems with third down and long. I remember last mm-hmm. year with Tom Brady as a quarterback. Obviously, less than two seconds, he was getting rid of the ball, so you didn't really have many plays where you threw deep with Tom. But now with Mark Baker Mayfield, it's a little different. But uh, last year, we did not convert a single third down and 11-plus. Not a single third. I think we had about 18 attempts. So we were over 18 third down, 11-plus. This year, the Buccaneers have converted 18%, <laughs> four of them, okay, on third down and 11-plus with Baker. But unfortunately, opposing teams, and this is, this is the wackiest thing, that, and I can't put a finger on I don't think Todd Bowles could put a finger But the, the craziest thing is that opponents are converting 43% of third down and 11. The Falcons converted third down and 17. They converted third down and 14. Wow. Uh, so, and then, then on the other side, uh, you know, it's, uh, that's just the third time the Buccaneers have ever played in Buffalo. Uh, and I'm, I'm, don't get the fiddle out and play, you know, play a sad song for me because it's just mm. the way football is. But, but at Buffalo, uh, we, 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 we got a rookie offensive guard that commits you know two false starts it's, it's so loud it's like you're playing in a dome I, I think we got preparation for the Houston game by playing in front of the Bills mafia this past Thursday night but uh, uh yeah Cody Malk a rookie started since day one he's a much better guard but he, he jumps the gun twice and I think he got a holding penalty uh Matt Filer was out in that ball game he had started the pre the first six games uh uh uh, uh, signing a free agent signing of the Bucks, the uh, left guard, and and so Aaron Stinney had to come in his first action of the season. So it was a little bit of a patchwork and a rookie playing in a very loud uh, atmosphere and making you know rookie mistakes. That's why they call them rookie mistakes. But uh, to answer your question, uh, defense, we we've got to do better on third. We, we're last in the league on third down. Opponents are converting fifty percent on third. That's that's. <laughs> That's incredible, and uh, yeah. we we got to figure that out. And we're halfway through the season. Hopefully, we figure it out uh, in, in the second half, Mark. But uh, yeah, that's those are the problems. Uh, offensively, penalties are drive killers. You know that, and we commit a penalty here, committed a penalty there, and and you know you only get about twelve possessions a game. Maybe uh, maybe if it's a high scoring game, maybe fourteen. But you get twelve, and penalties cost you a drive. So if you get two or three penalties on two or three different drives then you don't have that many opportunities to score points. And that's why, uh, golly, uh, th- this offense with Mike Evans and Chris Godwin uh, should be scoring more than 18 points a ball game. Uh, that, that's just that's just not really good offense. you got a new offensive coordinator. you got a new quarterback. You can't run the football. Uh, that's been a problem with the Bucks even during the Brady era. 
but uh, uh, th- those are the problems. And uh, unless we, we figure out how to solve them, uh, we're, uh, you know, those odds makers said we're supposed to win six and a half games this year. And uh, we went three of our first four. Those odds makers said, wow, well, we idiots, you know. <laughs> but yeah. now we've lost yeah. three in a row. And, and, and unlike most, most teams, home field advantage is huge. But the Buccaneers seem to play better on the road than they do at home. I mean, we're a foot away from beating the Bills on a Hail Mary pass last week. Uh, but mm-hmm. we, we played well enough to stay in the ball game, And we did the same. With, well, obviously, we beat Minnesota at Minnesota. Well, uh, week yeah. one, we beat New Orleans at New Orleans. I mean, good. maybe we have to play a dome stadiums to win football games. I don't know. Gene Deckerhoff joining us, voice of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and former voice of the Florida State Seminoles, Gene. And I know it hasn't been that long, but tell me something about Bobby Bowden that really stands out to you. Know, to you. I know there has to be a ton of stuff, but – legendary coach obviously and some coaches that i've worked with in the past sometimes their voice still rings in my head with certain things they used to say or do what really stands out in your memory about spending time with bobby bowden behind the scenes well let me just say this dad gummit (laughs) was bobby's credo and if if everybody has a just use one word to describe bobby dad gummit uh bobby would have been 94 years old next wednesday in fact uh He's uh, 93 and uh, 51 weeks uh, today as we speak. But uh, I talked to his widow, uh, Ann Bowden, uh, a couple of weeks ago. They, they, the ACC Network ran a special on that 1999 championship team, Bobby's second championship at Florida State, his only undefeated team, believe it or not. In his entire career, he had one undefeated team, and that was that 1999 team. That, oh, by the way, there must have been, I think, what, was there four or five first-round draft picks on that team? Uh, Corey Simon, I know, was the defensive tackle. And uh, Chris Winkie was the quarterback. He was the 28-year-old quarterback that, that, that won the Heisman Trophy the following year. And we dearly miss Bobby. And you know what Mike Norvell is doing now? It, it replicated what Bobby did. Now, uh, we're, we're undefeated 8-0. I, I follow the games. I listen to Jeff Colhane and Barnum uh, and Tom Block do the games. I, I've got that app. It's wherever I'm traveling. I, li- I even listened to the game uh, FSU-Syracuse when I was in Munich last year. Gene, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, and maybe you do, because I would if it were me. Are you the only person ever to call a Super Bowl and a national championship for your team as the voice of that team? And I know well, national radio you know, guys might have done it, but not as yeah, the voice yeah. of, the, of the team. What are your yeah. thoughts on that? Kevin Harlan's probably done uh, a few of those, but he's a national voice. He does CBS TV and Westwood yeah. one Monday night football. That doesn't count and, in this uh, category. No, no, no. I, I, you know, you may be, I know this, that when uh, William Barnum and Floyd and I were broadcast partners in the booth, we were the only two uh, college football. We're the only college football broadcast team that had Super Bowl rings. I know that's mm. a fact. But mm. as far as uh, somebody else, okay, uh, Joe Starkey did the 49ers back in the day. Uh, he's still doing Cal. I, I'm not, he may have stepped down this year because I think Joe's a little older than me. I'm 78 going on 79. Uh, let's see. He did San Francisco 49ers. He did all those great Super Bowls for the 49ers. But right. Cal never, to my knowledge, Cal's never won a national championship. No. They may have back before I was born, but I, I don't think they've ever won one. And then Joe no. would have been done them before I was born anyway. But uh, let's see, Bill Hillgrove does the Pittsburgh Panthers and the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's done Super Bowls, but the Pitt Panthers' last national championship, I think it was under Johnny Majors back. Yeah. Uh, was it Johnny Majors back in the 80s? I think it was. Yeah, yeah he, he wasn't had, doing them then. Yeah. So. No, no, uh-uh, no. But anyway, it's, uh, it's rare. And you're certainly the only one who's done two each. Gene, thanks uh, so much. No. All right, Mark. We'll see you Sunday. 
Man, I love hearing those two voices. Obviously, Mark, I mean, he's my my older brother and guy I've done everything with since I've been with the Texans. Uh, and then Gene Deckeroff, a guy I listened to when I was a very young coach and would drive around on Saturdays, listen to games on radio, and i get Mick Hubert and Gainesville at the Gators, and then Gene with the Florida State Seminoles. So um, I just used to hearing that voice, and it's always cool when he and Mark get together and chop it up. But it's cool when you guys are listening to us and listen to me chop it up here on Texans All Access. Appreciate so many people for being part of this one today. D'Amico Ryans, John Grenard, Drew Doherty, uh, Casey Phillips, Stephen Agadoke, again, John Grenard, D'Amico Ryans again, Gene Deckeroff, and I've saved my final one for my great friend, D.P. Sidhu, who will be leaving us, and I'm still trying to come to grips with it, as I tried earlier in the show. Um, she is um, she's my, my sister forever. Uh, she's family. She always will be, uh, and we will miss her greatly, and everything she's given to all access to me, uh, we just love her to death, and it's just... I hate seeing her go. Uh, DP, we love you. I love you. And we love you guys for listening to this show. So I appreciate it. We will see you on Sunday where hopefully Texans will get win number four and get back to 500 before a trip to Cincinnati. We'll see you on Sunday, everybody. And as always, go Texans.